The only reason you should be interrupting me is if you have news about the Avatar. Well, there is news, Prince Zuko, but you might not like it. Don't get too upset. Uncle, you taught me that keeping a level head is a sign of a great leader. Now, whatever you have to say, I'm sure I can take it. Okay, then. We have no idea where he is. What? Give me the map! Uh, there have been multiple sightings of the Avatar, but he is impossible to track down. How am I gonna find him, Uncle? He is clearly a master of evasive maneuvering. You have no idea where you're going, do you? Well, I know it's near water. I guess we're getting close then. Hello. <laughs> uh, this one we've been wanting to do for a while. Um, it was originally slated as Shyamalan cast, but we decided it'd be more fun to do this. Because at the end of the day, with Shyamalan, you've got, really, you've got two films that symbolize his career at these points. You've got The Sixth Sense, which we touched on on the horror cast, which is a certified classic at this point. And you've got this film. The beginning and the end. And honestly, everything that I have to say about Shyamalan, the film that he did before this one can be summed up in maybe a couple of sentences, but this one just inspires such lacerating hatred from me. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down several notes while I watched it this past time. Like, I hadn't seen it in a while. I've actually seen the TV series more than I have the movie. Counts as a victory for you. Oh, yeah. Here's the way we're coming at this. I'm coming at it from the perspective of someone who's seen the series, and I think you are coming at it from uh, someone who hasn't seen the series but has only seen the standalone movie. Yeah. I've seen I've seen book one. Oh, which, you have? Okay. Yeah, I have seen book one. But my my memory of it isn't quite the best. Right. And I hadn't seen it when I watched the movie. Right. So I'm kind of mentally going at this from the perspective of it's a standalone film in my eyes. Right. And for me, oh boy, like I the first time I saw this movie, I hadn't seen the rest of the series yet. This time I have seen this, the full series twice, plus Korra, but that really doesn't enter into this. The things they try to set up with this are so clumsy and so misguided and so awful. We'll, we'll get to it, but uh, it pisses me off so much. Yeah, this this is, this is going to be us with very directed anger. I think we should probably explain what makes a movie like this different from something like, say, A Talking Cat. Honestly, even something like Howard the Duck, there's no difference. There is. We did briefly, very briefly, like for two seconds, talk about doing this as a lost tapes, but it doesn't lend itself to it just because... It's a very visual film. It's very visual, yeah. It lends itself more to discussion than it does to uh, riffing. The riff tracks is great. Listen to the riff tracks, but... Yeah. If you want a riffing, go to the professionals. Right. Well, I feel like the difference is that this... This you could tell that they really tried to adapt the series. <sighs> sort of? I don't know if I would even go that far. I mean, well, eh, I don't know. Like, okay, with Howard the Duck, the changes that were made for that one, honestly, we didn't touch on this too much, but they were really more pragmatic than anything else. Yeah. They were more pragmatic because they didn't have the rights to a lot of the stuff that was dealt with. And Howard, like, really, when you got right down to it, all they had the rights to was Howard, Beverly, and I don't think they even had the rights to the villains. They might have had the rights to one or two of the villains from the comics, but they didn't touch on them. So, with that one, you kind of have to cut it a little bit of leeway. Also, this is a really pretty-looking movie. This is a movie where you can see the budget that they have. Yeah, the movie looks good. It really does look good. Special effects are first rate. I mean, this this is not a movie where you can sit there and 
laugh at how stupid something is on the screen because no, no, it, it, it's 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 an attractive film. However, it's the writing and acting where this movie just completely and of course the directing oh, yeah. where this movie just collapses. I think the last film that he did before this was The Happening, and that was really the uh, the point where everything got all wibbly wobbly. But I, I will say this: um, yeah, The Happening was. Sort of. I mean, you kind of have to go with The Village. But again, The Village was pretty good up until that last act. Right. Lady in the Water was just a weird motion picture. Uh, very self-indulgent. It was. There's a book on the making of it that's actually kind of aggravating because it's obvious that the writer couldn't separate himself from uh, Shyamalan's situation. Mm. Like, like, you could tell that he kind of drank the Kool-Aid on it. Right. So to speak. I mean, that one was very much an ego trip. With The Happening, I don't know what happened, because it wasn't a bad premise. No, it could have worked. It just took itself too seriously. Oh, no. Well, I don't know. The toxin? The toxin is affecting them? Second, okay, just give me a second. We're not gonna be one of those assholes on the news who watches a crime happen and not do something. We're not assholes. Just a second. Like I actually walked away from that one, going, oh, "It's not terrible." It's not. I mean, he, you can. Uh, um, okay, it sucked. It it sucked. That happened over a period of a few days, but that's that was the thought process. Yeah. It sucked, but. At least, at least it was kind of fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it just didn't go far enough in terms of being the good, stupid exploitation movie it wanted to be. There was a behind-the-scenes thing where all Shyamalan was talking about during the shooting of this one scene is, oh, we, we want to, we want to, you know, push this into an R rating. Oh, but we don't want to push it into a NC-7 T rating. It's like, uh, why are you talking about ratings? Just do the fucking scene. Mm -hmm. It's the scene where uh, the the kid gets his head blown off by a shotgun for some reason. You know, you can always go back in and trim a scene down. Right. But you can't inflate what's not there. And I think that that says it all. That he wanted to go to an R rating, but not far enough past the R rating. Right. Look, if you can't go for it, just fucking go for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, ugh, this movie, this movie, it, that movie was fun, at least it was fun back, you know, it was the epitome. Yeah, at least you could laugh at it. This one, though, there's, there's no laughing. And just so we're clear, I'm not saying it's a good movie, I'm putting it in Ed Wood territory here, okay? It, it's, it's just so stupid, and this guy did discussion of, I like hot dogs. You know, hot dogs get a bad rap. They got a cool shape, they got protein. You like hot dogs, right? Uh, I've forgotten most of it, but yeah. <laughs> I remember that now. There's some weird stuff in that movie. At least the some of the mass suicide stuff was kind of... Yeah, that was kind of creepy. Like, the opening uh, up to a point was creepy, and then it just kept going, and it's like, okay. Some of it was creepy, and some of it was so stupid it was fun, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I'm not seriously trying to put up a hardcore defense of the movie, but I'm saying that, but I'm saying that I could get some enjoyment out of it, both intentional and unintentional. There's no enjoyment to be had on uh, the last Airbender. We dilly dallied enough on it. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so um, the first thing you see in the film is a, a carbon copy of the opening, the Benders in Shadow. And that looks good, and that's promising, but then where the opening of the show like had narration over some sweeping visuals, this has text. A hundred years ago, all was right with our world. The four nations, water, earth, fire, and air nomads lived amongst each other in harmony. Great respect was afforded to all those who could bend their natural element. The Avatar was the only person born amongst all the nations 
who can master all four elements. And then a hundred years ago, he just disappeared. Yeah, because text is more appealing. Oh yeah, especially when you're making a uh, multi-million dollar budget movie uh, for Nickelodeon. And yes, this was a Nickelodeon movie. It was Nickelodeon's decision to hire Shyamalan, shame on you Nickelodeon. And it should be noted, they had uh, Andrew Lesney who shot the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit <clears throat> trilogy on board as cinematographer. That makes it even more frustrating. Like we said, the visuals show. It's gorgeous, but... So right off the bat, they've stumbled the ball. Yeah. And of course, the, the pronunciations for this movie are all off. I don't know why. Only the Avatar. The Avatar. Sokka! Sokka. General Iroh. My name is Iroh. I'm Aang. Ang. I've heard that it was to make it more quote-unquote authentic. Oh, fuck that. You're adapting the source material. Uh, I'm going to borrow some from the Cracked article. It was kind of my introduction to this. I'm going to post it. This isn't an adaptation from a Japanese show. This is an American show. It's an English-speaking show. It reflects off Eastern cultures, but it's an it's an American show. You have no excuse not to pronounce it the way they do in the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was you know they the the Avatar the Avatar. That's so stupid. It, now it was put to me that the movie Avatar came out a good six months before this. And they could. That's why they could not call it Avatar: The Last Airbender. That is correct. You know, and also that's why they mispronounce it. There will be spoilers for the show in this, so I will throw up a bit of a spoiler warning. Yeah, and I and I really hate to do that because you do really need to see the show. Well, maybe I won't give full spoilers, but some. The fact that they changed it to you know, the Avatar cannot marry. You know, they they Jedi'd that shit. Royally fucks up stuff that happens in season three. Of course it does. I mean, that's that's one. With those early scenes, right off the bat, you notice several things that they get wrong. For one thing, all the actors are pretty wooden. Sokka is one of the first characters introduced. Oh, I'm sorry, Soka. In the series, he is comic relief. He's not funny in this. I watched what side of the fin tracks are more indented that shows you which direction they're going. I saw how long the drag skits are that shows you how fast they're going. And he's a great character in the show. Look! Can your fortune telling explain that? Can your science explain why it rains? Yes! Yes, it can! He is so arrogant and bold. He's one of those characters. He thinks he's the epic hero. Right. He's not. No. He does some heroic things in the series, and he does come into his own, and he does learn. He is a an actual character, but he's also the comic relief. He's also Harpo. Yeah, he's Harpo. For you Rift Tracks fans, he's Jasper from Twilight. And it's funny to me because I've noticed that he I have liked that actor in precisely one movie. And that was by sheer accident one of the Twilight movies. <laughs> it was Eclipse, wasn't it? Yeah, he's actually pretty good in Eclipse when he has something to do. Uh, he does a decent southern accent in that film. Only in that film, by the way. Not in any of the others. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That was weird. This happened during the Civil War. I was the youngest major in the Texas Cavalry. Also in that movie, his character is temporarily not a moron. Rathbone's pretty bad here. He plays everything just very wooden. Yeah, Katara isn't much better. Uh, she, she's not terrible. She's not spectacular. She She's just there. You know, my grandma thinks because you're an airbender that you could be the Avatar. She's just there. The actress that plays her, Shyamalan apparently said he wouldn't do the film without her. Really? That's not a hill worth dying on. She's okay. I'm not surprised that the actress has kept working. Uh, she'll be in Transformers 4, which I won't be seeing. I have to note, the actress that plays her in the show is the great Mae Whitman. That's why I took this. No way. Isn't it great? You stole their waterbending scroll. I prefer to think of it as high-risk trading. And who does a wonderful, vibrant job in the part and really makes her character quite like. Every time I watch the show, I forget it's Mae Whitman, but yes. You have that nice opening scene. You have that, and it kind of more or less recreates the show, sort of. Beat for beat. Not so much emotional beat. But just kind of, yeah. It, this is the plot. This is what's happening. They find a boy in the ice. They crack it open. His eyes are all glowy. He has tattoos. 
Um, a ship comes. Zuko tries to take all the old people away. Aang steps in and says, hey, take me away. The way I'm saying it right now, that's how the movie presents it. It's not. It's There's no drama. It's just all cut dried there. But in the meantime, can you teach me to catch one of these penguins? To make the next of very many Lord of the Rings comparisons, you compare that to how they set everything up with Fellowship of the Ring, which also had a prologue that explained everything and showed everything. That prologue is all anybody needs to know for the backstory for that movie. And then the movie takes the time to make sure that we care about these characters before they're sent on their journey. That doesn't happen here. Right, there's a party. Yeah. This, there's just... Mm, We're just literally flung right into the action. That's true, there is kind of a little action sequence there. You know, the firebenders demonstrate their ability. Which, by the way, another change that they made is that the firebenders can't make their own fire. They have to draw it from a source. Do you know how fucking stupid that is? Yeah, let's let's take something that would be extremely easy to show and not at all complicated special effects wise. No. And let's do this. Let's do this stupid change that weakens how dangerous your villains are. <sighs> and if you if you really if you really delve deep into why into how stupid that is, all the wirebenders would have to do is say, Hey, find their fire source, extinguish it. So stupid. And also, it kind of negates the beauty of uh, the mythology that they set up in the show, because, you know, there's a whole thing in Season 3 where they explain uh, where the firebenders came from, like, how they learned to bend, the fu to bend fire. And uh, it's a really beautiful episode, and it, it negates this all, negates that. Like, granted, Eero, his uncle, later, like, knows how to bend his own fire. And, like, that's a thing, I guess. You make the fire out of nothing! You never want your villains to be weakened. You always want your villains to be the most dangerous threat that you can possibly muster. And this is... This is just stupid. But, yeah, moving on from that, let's talk a little about race bending, because that, kind of, that happens right away. Yeah, and let's just preface this by saying that we're not trying to tip our, our toes into too complicated territory, but this is inexcusable, and this can't be overlooked. Yeah, it needs to be brought up when discussing this film. They coined the term race-bending from this film because it does it so horribly, even though it's, it's, um, it's been a problem in cinema for a while. It's been a for eons. Yeah, we'll throw up, we'll throw up a link to racebending.com. There's some good stuff there. And I think we need to throw on a spoiler warning because we're not just going to talk about this movie. We're going to talk about another major film. So if you have not seen Star Trek Into Darkness, we're, we're going to post the time codes on when to avoid. Spoiler warning starts now. And in this film specifically, you go into the wirebending village and Sokka and Katara are both white actors. Granted, Mae Whitman is also white, but that's also a voice role. And... Voice voice roles have race bent all over the place. They even, they even sometimes you even get some really strange ones. Um, on the Cleveland show, the actor that plays Cleveland is a white guy. Yeah. The actor who plays his somewhat racist neighbor is a black guy. <laughs> yeah. If anything, you can say that uh, at least in cartoons they they don't discriminate in the race bending. Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is the uh, voice of Shredder. <laughs> so, yeah. And this, it's straight up just, uh, you know, they're white. All the minor characters in the village are, I mean, they're actually of the native. You know, it's like, what is that? Why, why would you do that? All the good guys in this movie are white. Right. All, all the bad guys are uh, Asian, uh, I know that one of the guys is, uh, I think, Maori. Yeah, Ma Maori, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got all of these. I mean, it's very clear-cut. And I know that the film comes from an Indian director. I know that. Right, which is so fucked up. That doesn't excuse it. Apparently, I'm going to have to find this note. Um, but, you know, they're talking about this on Cabin Fever before the uh, an another great podcast. I don't know if they're still going, but go to their backlog. They're great. Good friends, Aaron and Brian. 
before the movie came out, they actually talked about the uh, the casting the casting call for it. And even that, I mean, I know that Shyamalan tried to use his race as a defense for this casting, but oh bullshit! Now I'm 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 with you there. Um, but to some degree, it almost felt like it was any uh, brown person will do for these parts. Yeah. Well, this article from Slash Film, uh, they seem to be compensating for the fact that they cast white kids in the lead roles by asking for numerous multi-ethnic actors to try out for the film. Wouldn't it be a little weird when Ang, Guitar, and Soccer are white, but their tribe people are all... Yeah. I think the gist of the uh, the casting call, if I remember right, was, you know, oh, just wear whatever clothes fit your nationality. Like, if you're Belgian, wear Lederhosen. Uh, if you're Korean, wear a kimono. What? Excuse me? Kimono is Japanese. Hate to break it to you guys. Like, the movie's not even made yet? You're already being culturally insensitive? Yeah, it's kind of sad that this started the race-bending website, which was started directly as an attack on this, and which sadly keeps going. Yeah, yeah. Just. I mean, I mentioned Star Trek Into Darkness. Again, time to turn on the spoilers. I know that you've seen it. I've seen it, yeah. Con! Let's just say it, Con. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch plays Khan. Khan! Yes, a white dude. A very, very white man. He couldn't get any whiter, no. No. Now, of course, originally the part was race-bent in the first place. The character is a Sikh, and he was played by a Spaniard. Right. Well, okay, I, I could overlook that because Ricardo Montalban brought a certain something. I, I hate to say ethnicity to it, he wasn't a standard British white guy, was the thing. More than anything else, I think what I'm trying to say is the charisma that Montalban brought. Yeah. He brought this intense charisma and charm, and he was a brown person. I mean, and I feel bad for talking about this, because it is awkward and uncomfortable. There's nothing fun about this, people. But at the end of the day, he did have an accent, and he did have something about him. Again, I think it's really more to say that Cumberbatch was was miscast, period. I mean, he gives a good performance. He gives yeah. an excellent performance as a character named John Harrison. Right. The problem is that he's not con. I will say that uh, Cumberbatch is playing Julian Assange next. Okay, he looks perfect there. Yes. There he's a Brit playing an Australian, and he looks to be doing a fine job. He actually looks like Assange a lot. And some could say, well, there was the butterfly effect of the uh, ship chain, uh, you know, of everything that happened back in time. The problem is that, that happened while Khan is supposed to have been in Deep Freeze. He's supposed to be playing Ricardo, Ricardo Montalban's character. Literally, he's supposed to be that character. Right. To a T, just as Leonard Nimoy is supposed to be playing the Spock that we knew. This is supposed to be that version. And yeah, Spock is in this movie while we're spoiling, but... Yeah, well yeah, Spock is back. And it's it's great to see him back, as always. Uh, it is. But I'm... Just saying, it was inexcusable there. Are there any instances that I can think of where a white guy has played a part that is not, yeah, yeah, I can think of a ton. And, and I can definitely think of cases where it's gone the opposite direction. Right. Nick Fury. Most notably Nick Fury. Uh, David Hasselhoff actually looks considerably more like the Nick Fury of the comics. Right. If I have to choose, I'm, cho I'm choosing Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury because oh, hell yeah. Jackson conveys the badass that I want from Nick Fury. You know, as I said, I can certainly think of cases, especially in historical, you know, in older movies where they got it done. Um, even though it's not a very good movie, uh, Kevin Spacey played a part that was originally black and paid forward, and that was fine. It's not a very good movie, but but it was a good casting decision. Huh? Yeah. And then, of course, there's a classic, you know, Charlton Heston playing a Mexican. Yeah. I mean, fine instance there. Uh, you know, this can work. Uh, I don't like Scarface, but let's face it, Al Pacino was fine as Tony Montana. Yeah. To cite a movie uh, uh, that I think is way better, Carlito's Way. It can work. But it doesn't here. No, it doesn't. And so let's 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 get back to the film, and let's talk about something that does work. Yeah. While we're talking about the Fire Nation, let's talk about something that does work. Uh, Dev Patel as Zuko. I will not be allowed to live in peace until I bring the Avatar to my father! Yeah, he's the first character that emotes like he should. Mm -hmm. 
and he gets it right. It's really got to be stated. I, I think I was a little hard on him when I first reviewed the film, because having rewatched it, he's good. He is the Zuko of the show. He's more than a little petty. He's more than a little selfish. He's more than, a, but that's the character. And he is pretty. Um, like they they make fun of this in the show, but he his normal speech is kind of like he's like angsty teenager, uh, not like angry all the time, but just kind of almost deadpan at points. Mm-hmm. When he's angry, he's really angry, and he actually he actually does hook up with a girl who's just as deadpan as him. Here. This is for you. Why would I want that? I saw it and I thought it was pretty. Don't girls like stuff like this? Maybe stupid girls. It's hilarious. Yeah, so he he was right. He was right. As far as the makeup goes, they did not scar his face near enough. They never do. No. I think he's afraid of really scarring actors up. Look at what they did with the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. 2004. It's like fat passes for scarred. He has to wear a mask for that, really. Yeah. Uh, him and Aang become friends. Like you know, it's kind of obvious. The movie even alludes to it. It does it in the clumsiest way I think you could possibly allude to something. War Machine in Iron Man Two was better set up than this. Next time, baby. Oh yeah. And that one was pretty clumsy. But shit. Uh, the reason I feel comfortable spoiling that is because it's fun watching the journey in the show that Zuko takes to get to that point. And here, eh, it's kind of amazing because, like, in multiple points, uh, he spills his guts, he spills all his feelings out to unconscious good guys. Sister Azula was always a special one. She was a firebending prodigy. My father loves her. Can't even look at me sometimes. He says I'm like my mother. Yeah. It's baffling. It's like, why would you do this? Why would your character, you, your character in the movie, do this? Because he needed to give exposition. Right. And that's really all he does. Like, exposition is a whole thing unto itself. Like, the, the I think the clumsiest bit of exposition I saw in this film was... He's talking to his uncle, he's like, Hey, hey, little one, come here. Tell me what you know about the prince. He did something wrong. He spoke out of turn to a general. Prince Zuko was sentenced to an Agni key duel. And then the kid just fucks off. It's like, okay, why did you do this? You could have just told your uncle that yourself. It's not like the kid gave any real opinion on you to justify him coming over. I'm reminded of a much better scene in a, boy it blows my mind I'm going to say this, even bringing up this film as a much better movie, The Three Musketeers 1993, which is a movie I like, but I'm not going to tell you it's a good movie, yeah, it's probably one that's better left to my nostalgia. In that film, there's that, there is a scene where uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character is giving D'Artagnan, the backstory of this figure that he, uh, a count that fell in love with a woman. And he's giving this backstory. And it's, it works in that movie because it's a cautionary tale, but it also works because the audience knows, oh, he's talking about himself. He just doesn't want to admit it. There, there, there's a scene that was handled better in The Three Musketeers. My God. Not a good mark on you, uh, Airbender. Yeah, Zuko's good. Um, Iroh? I don't know where to start with him. The actor is trying his hardest to play the Iroh of the show. When you wake, we'll have tea together before we start engines, huh? The Iroh of the show is, well, he's more heavy set than this actor is. Way more. Yeah. He likes his tea. This tea is nothing more than hot leaf juice. Uncle, that's what all tea is. How could a member of my own family say something so horrible? I won't reveal what he ultimately is, because that's a nice surprise in itself. But he, he's like, he's Zuko's guidance, basically. He's, I think he chose banishment, you know, so that he could guide his nephew. Uh, he had a son that died in one of, in like the cer- uh, siege on one of the Earth Kingdom cities. So Zuko is now kind of his 
His charge. His charge. Yeah. But yeah, that's the character. He's he's more of a gentle soul. He's badass when it comes down to brass tacks. Did I ever tell you how I got the nickname, The Dragon of the West? I'm not interested in a lengthy anecdote, Uncle. It's more of a demonstration, really. And I believe that because of the actor that was cast, that they could that they could have pulled that off had they bothered to give the character anything to do. Yeah, he doesn't really... Like, it's revealed in the film version that he can, later, he can make his own fire. By the way, all the Fire Nation troops in this are wimps. They run away from any little attack. How the fuck did they conquer the world? Yeah, they are, they are really they are really some of the worst villains. Um, ah. I want to... Let me just real quick note that this about uh, the actor that played that part, uh, Sean Taub, best known for uh, playing Yinsen, the scientist who helped Tony Stark in Iron Man. He was he was excellent there. Uh, I would also cite his work in Crash, where he's probably the best thing about that not very good movie. That's probably the worst Oscar winning Oscar winning film I've ever seen. Truthfully, even wor- even worse than Gladiator. But he's good in it. His sequence is good, and he's excellent in it. Yeah. He's he's good here, but again, he has nothing to do. And I think more than anything, I'm just pissed off about the look, because he does play it right. He really does play the character right. He doesn't look right. The, the way they dress him, he looks like a Rastafarian. It's kind of weird, like a Rastafarian hippie. And that's all wrong. Jesus. Yeah, that's all I can say about Iro. I am deeply disappointed. Because uh, that is a great character. Let's talk on what happens while uh, Ong is uh, kidnapped by the Fire Nation. He spends like half the movie getting kidnapped by them and running away. Getting kidnapped by them, getting rescued. It's it's a whole lot of sequences like that. Yeah. I have to know, he gets rescued by the Blue Spirit, which is a, just a guy with swords and a mask. Yeah, and that, that is from the show. He does get captured and rescued by this mysterious figure called the Blue Spirit. Zuko. Yeah, it does turn out to be Zuko. It pretty much happens exactly as it does in the show. They escape, like, they they fight together, and then everything happens beat for beat. And that really is a good fight sequence. It is, it's well shot. Yeah, in a better Avatar movie, that would have fit. So, props to that. Uh, that was cool. Uh, and that's the scene in the show. Before the war started, I used to always visit my friend Kuzan. He was one of the best friends I ever had. And he was from the Fire Nation, just like you. If we knew each other back then, do you think we could have been friends too? That scene is moved to later in the film, and it's just clumsily put in. We could be friends, you know. Why did they do that? What the fuck? Because that would have fit. Yeah. Again, I keep going back to this. Why did they make these changes? If you're going to go so far as to have a sequence happen beat for beat, why would you do that? Yeah. It's fucking weird. But, 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 but we have to get to the first of, like, many sequences that just really annoy me. And that's the sequence where Ong gets to the temple and discovers that everyone's dead. <clears throat> because right off the bat, let's note something that has been missing from his character the whole time. Joy! Yeah, yeah, true. He is a very gleeful character in the show. He is. He's this wonderfully fun little kid. He's not sorrowful. He's not woeful. In the movie, he's morose. Yeah. He always has this weird expression on his face, like he has constipation. Yeah. In the show, his first reaction upon being unfrozen is he wants to go play. Right, exactly. And he's a great character for that reason. It's like, I don't know, a couple episodes in, uh, he wants to go see his old old, uh, air temple. And his old buddies, because he thinks that they're still there. It's empty, and, you know, there is a thing full of bones, and then, you know, that joy turns to immediate pain. I mean, it's it's a very 
hard contrasting shift and it's a very emotional moment and just to see this character break down in this way and this you're just given you're scaring these people what kind of test i know where they are right now they're at the peripheral i left a few days ago you're lying it just it's a thudding sequence it's mm -hmm. it's frustrating it doesn't work the other thing I'm pissed off about is the Avatar state. Like, they don't give it the right significance. Half the show is basically him trying to control the Avatar state, which is his most powerful state, in which he calls upon all his all the power of his predecessors. You know, it's him trying to control it. Like, in this, he just, boom, goes in out at will. Yeah. No drama here! Also, they don't, instead of explaining the texture of what that means mm -hmm. and the power of it, it's chosen one. Chosen one! Exactly. It's just, let's, it's like, pull up the checklist, pull up the template, yep, because this movie version just drains all of the things that made it unique to get it down to Joseph Campbell, you know, let's just check off the chosen one template. And also, to further explain the, um, why they went with the Jedi thing, like with you can't have a family. They're simplifying a more complex concept, which is which has to do with the Avatar state. He has to unlock all his chakras. The thought chakra is located at the crown of the head. It deals with pure cosmic energy and is blocked by earthly attachment. Meditate on what attaches you to this world. Let all of those attachments go. What? Why would I let go of Katara? Learn to let her go. Or you cannot let the pure cosmic energy flow in from the universe. This is a show for kids. They explain this in a show for kids. There's no trouble understanding it. And they just simplify it here to, no, you can't have a family. Period. Fuck you. Fuck you, audience. Fuck you, Aang. Fuck you, Katara. Yeah. Uh, just... What? Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, that leads us to the Earth Kingdom. The Earth Kingdom. Oh, shit. I'm just going to let you rant. I know okay. you want to. Yes. Um, okay. So, the scene in the show where they rescue this Earth village. Like, there's a whole episode on it. It's, it's a great episode. It is. The Fire Nation is basically rounding up any benders. So that they can keep them under control. So that they can't fight back. They come up with this plot to get to wherever they take the Earthbenders. So where is it that they take these Earthbenders? It is a barge in the middle of the ocean. Because there is no Earth. Brilliant. Yeah. Great move. That is a good strategy. You know, they, they cannot bend Earth that they do not have. And therefore they cannot fight back. Where is this prisoner camp in the movie? The mountains, it looks like. The mountain. The f on the fucking Earth. Yeah. What's the problem with this? They could totally fight back. Like, it's they're not even trying. No. For all the liberties the movie takes, you could easily just move them to a barge in the middle of the ocean. The movie has countless sequences on barges in the middle of the ocean, even. It's not like they didn't have the sets. Ah, they could repurpose the ship set. I mean, come on. It's basically that. And so Aang rouses them with a speech when in the show it's Katara, but that's another thing. Earthbenders! Why are you acting this way? There's Earth right beneath your feet! Oh yeah! And then they fight back. And it should be noted that the actor playing uh, on does not do a very good job with that speech at all. It's it, it sounds like a little kid trying to rally the troops. Exactly. Which is what it is. I mean, fuck. But, but yeah... And that's just stupid. And from there, they go into... But there are really powerful benders in the, in the Northern Water Tribe. My dad told me about it before he left. It's led by a princess because her father died. And maybe we can stop in the villages on the way, start a change in the war in these small villages. It's way too far. <sighs> then maybe we should travel by map. Good idea, Fozzie. Oh, yeah. Who talks like that? Another another small segue, Appa and Momo are reduced to props in this movie. Appa is... Uh, was frozen with Aang, he's his, he's his flying bison, and they are now extinct. Uh, he's, he's the only one left. And Momo is a lemur bat. You know, all the, all the animals 
in this universe are combinations of two animals from our universe, which makes for a very funny point in the show, and this is just wasted. Like with the bear. I don't know if you've seen that one. Hmm. I think that's in season two. But anyway, Appa barely has a part except for a prop to fly them around. Momo is introduced. I don't know why. He's only in a few scenes, and he doesn't do anything. Like, they don't even acknowledge him. He knocks over a scroll, I guess. But that's it. That's it. That's all he does. I mean, and he's he's also comic relief. And boy, this movie could have used comic relief. Listen carefully, Momo. I need you to take this to the river and fill it with water. <laughs> Got it? It's funny how little it has. Yeah. This show was a very funny show. It was. There's none of that in here. Like, there is none. Because this movie is trying to be a serious, chosen one epic fantasy. Yeah. And that's totally the wrong approach. That's the wrong approach. But yeah, I mean, there's one attempt at humor that I can think of, and that's when they first uncover Aang. Ong. Sokka is like... Trying to eat me! It's like, that's... It's flat... It doesn't. It doesn't come off as funny. If I didn't, mm. if I hadn't seen the show, I wouldn't know that was supposed to be funny, and that's what they're trying to emulate. But that's really the only time they actually try to emulate anything like that. Before we get to the next part, we got to talk about the uh, main villain of the movie. Oh, General General Zhao. Uh huh. Asif mm. Manvi. Yeah. Let's just kind of let that sink in for a moment for fans of the Daily Show. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is not like Albert Brooks in Drive showing off an unexpected level of menace that you didn't know was there. No. He has just as much menace as he does on The Daily Show uh, while he's reporting. No, I love him on The Daily Show. I do too. He's a great bit there. Yes. Here, he's all wrong. He talks exactly like he does on The Daily Show. There's not much acting. Fire Lord believes his son is too soft. I don't know what else to say about it, except that's it. Well, I know, I know one thing that I would say, which is to point out that on the show, the character was played by Jason Isaacs, Lucius Malfoy from the Harry Potter movies. Ooh, and he's fucking terrifying. Commander Zhao, I've been hunting the Avatar for two years and I- have to fail! Capturing the Avatar is too important to leave in a teenager's hands. He's mine now. He is. I did not realize when I watched the movie that the character was supposed to be scary. Yeah. I thought he was a comical villain. <laughs> no, not at all. And also, one other mm, point, I w- I'm almost said niggly, it's not niggly point, it's a major point, um, about the Fire Lord, Fire Lord Otsai. In the show, until the third season, he is shown in shadow. You can hear his voice, but, I mean, it is kind of a terrifying reveal when they show him, not just, not because he's deformed or anything, but just because he is so, like, he, his presence has been built up. And that's, he's just there. He, they show him. And it's a shame, because the actor that plays him, uh, Cliff Curtis, has done some good, intense work in the past. Hmm, that's a waste. And could have made for a really good version of the character. And note, the character in the show is played by Mark Hamill, and he does... Close to his Joker voice. You will learn respect, and suffering will be your teacher. As we're noting, Ozai here is also kind of a bumbling villain to some degree. Like, the way he's played, he's not, you can't quite take him seriously. Let's hope, for your sake, my son doesn't find this person first, and he turns out to be the Avatar. And that's a shame, because I know that that's the script and the directing, not the actor. If I remember right, he just does whatever Zhao tells him. It's like, okay. Yeah. As we're counting, I don't fully blame Mondi for his fumble here, because because that's where Shyamalan should have stepped up and said, hey, quit acting like you're about to throw it back to Jon Stewart. Our spies have discovered someone claiming to be the Avatar. We should set the trap for this person. We have many Earth Kingdom people under our control. I can leave soldiers hidden in certain locations. So you've got all this, and then you get to the Northern Water Tribe. Okay, this is 54 minutes into a movie with a runtime of an hour 42, 
This is half the film, roughly. This encompasses, like, the last four episodes of a 20-episode season. What? Yeah. I mean, granted, yeah, the decision to spend a lot of time at the Northern Wire Tribe is right. But it's right for a much longer movie. This movie should have been two and a half hours. Yeah, it it feels rushed. It feels condensed. Because we're just told things. We're not shown a damned thing. Yeah, exactly. Show me, don't tell me. And there are some wasted characters in uh, Northern Water Tribe sequences. Again, the, the actual setting looks fantastic. Oh, it's beautiful. Great usage of blues and whites. I mean, it's it's very spectral almost. Mm-hmm. And it was it was grand. It was right. That was the Northern Warrior Tribe. Again, credit due to Andrew Lesney for his DP work here because it just looks gorgeous. <sighs> Where to start on this sequence? Let's start with. We spend three minutes showing them arriving at the Northern Wire Tribe and then bowing to the Royal Court. And then the narration, which is done by Katara in the film, says, We arrived at the Northern Water Tribe. We presented ourselves to the Royal Court. We know. We literally just saw that. The audience isn't stupid. No matter how much this film treats us as if we are, we're not stupid. The relationship between Sokka and Yue in the show is... Yeah, they do become instant friends, and it is an instant attraction. But the problem is, she has a boyfriend that she's going to be marrying. Where's the boyfriend? He's not in this one. Nope. He can just, he's hes just, there's no triangle, there's no love triangle. He can just go after her. No dramatic tension. And again, their entire chemistry, you're sure not shown it. Nope. Mostly because Harpo cannot emote to save his life. Nope. He's very much in full Harpo, I'm in extra mode. That's right. Yeah, and that's the other thing about this film. You know, the relationships have no chemistry. Like, I'm pretty sure there's no chemistry between Zuko and Iroh. Uh, there's no chemistry between Aang and Katara. The relationship between Aang and Katara feels like she's babysitting him. Yeah! Pretty much. They don't feel like peers. No, they really don't. Like, there's a whole thing where, in the show, she teaches him water, water bending, Which, by the way, he gets right off. Yeah. Ong was practicing, but for some reason, he was having trouble with waterbending. And that's never brought back up again. And then later, I guess he could waterbend because he was taught by the person at the North Pole. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of clumsily. Even though this should be the driving force of the movie. Right. The Avatar's journey. The Avatar's journey to learning bending, to to cope with his position in the world. None of that is here. Like, I guess it is at the end, but it's very clumsily put in. We're going to get to that in a moment, and believe me, I have some things I want to say. Oh, yeah. Everything that happens in the Warrior Tribe is pretty much present in the show. It's just boom, boom, boom. Eh, like the stuff with the fish, like with the koi pond. Aang trying to get to the Avatar state, and Zuko interrupting. General Zhao has a plan to kill one of the fish so that the moon can be blocked out, and the wirebenders can't have their power. His dialogue in the scene, by the way, is so stupid. Why do spirits take the form of such benign things? It leaves them so vulnerable. It doesn't work. It's, it's just weird. There is a character that's way overlooked, uh, waterbending master Paku. In the show, there's a whole thing about, you know, that's who they're going to see, ultimately. Have Aang trained. And waterbending master Paku is the guy, is the main guy. He won't train Katara because he's a misogynist. But that would have been a complex idea, so the movie, of course, doesn't touch on it. Exactly. The Northern Wire Tribe episodes are only, like, four. They do all this complex shit in literally an hour and a half. And this is half that, and they have none of it. That's because they need to spend the time on battle sequences. <sighs> battle sequences, yes. Also, the scenes where Aang goes into the Avatar state are piss poor, like he's communing with the spirit world. Nowhere do they say in this movie, Avatar state, those words. No, it's that's left out of it. 
Like, the significance is even watered down that much. You know, he, he converses with a dragon, uh, which we learn right off in the show that that is Roku. Like, that is Roku and his spirit animal. Appa is Aang's spirit animal, and the dragon was Roku's. So all we see is him talking to a dragon. So that's not given any significance whatsoever. It, it makes no sense. It makes no sense, no. Why the fuck's he talking to a dragon? It's almost like everything is done for rule of cool. Yeah, exactly. It's like, because it's a fucking dragon. Yue sacrifices herself. Now, I can't... I forgot exactly what time frame. I think it's like 20 minutes. Uh, where, uh, from the time that her and Sokka are introduced, and, and the point where she sacrifices her, herself uh, to take the place of the moon spirit. 20 minutes. Most of that time isn't isn't really even given over to them. Like, they have a couple scenes where they have conversations. That's about it. So there's no real dramatic, oh, I'm going to miss you so much because we've bonded so much in the last 20 minutes. No, it's... It, it doesn't... There's no weight. There's no weight. Yeah, and that's exactly the tone of the whole movie. There's no weight yeah. to anything that should be given weight. In the final battle sequence, I think we can now talk about the moment that just... I don't know. It made me the angriest, and I don't know if it made you the angriest. But how it is that Ong is able to summon up all of his powers. Mm. He has to grieve. He has to feel sadness. Oh, I guess I didn't pick up on that point, but that was really a, that was seriously a plot point? Yeah. He has to feel sadness in order to unlock his powers? Well, like, that he that in order for him to truly be complete and truly be full... What? Losing his whole village was not enough? That, like, he has to experience it, that he's been in denial or something. Oh. Ah. That he has to feel it. At least that's what I took away from those scenes. Yeah, I, yeah. Is that's what the dragon tells him, at least. You are stopping yourself from grieving. You are angry. You must let this go. Yeah, it is. Show me, don't tell me. It doesn't make any sense. Because this whole time, this kid has just been walking around, looking like if the wind blows the wrong way, he's going to lose it. Yeah, so why have that point uh, if you're not going to have him emote anything? Like, Yari has a lack of joy, so why give him that, like, oh, he has to feel sadness, that's how he gains his power. What? So the tears of orphans can literally fuel him then. I, d I don't know. I don't even know how to react to this. But of course, he saves the day, and the whole kingdom bows before him. And he bows back, and he has such a pained expression on his face. Like, he doesn't know... That's a face that tells me he didn't know how to play it. I don't know. Maybe this kid could have been better in something else, but I'm not convinced by this. No. I mean, he's not Jake Lloyd in episode one bad. Yeah, I was just about to say. He's a flying lemur bat. We keep them as pets. They live on the moons of Diego, I think. Any random kid on the street who's done this performance. And then with the scene of everyone bowing to him, that brings to mind another scene in Lord of the Rings. You know the one I'm going to talk about. My friends, you bow to no one. Yes, that scene, which in the movie theater nearly broke me. Mm-hmm. Because when the kingdom bows to the hobbits, it has power. That's one of the most powerful scenes I've ever seen in a movie, period. Yeah. And if anybody thinks that that's hyperbole, come on, you've just spent nine hours watching this journey. There is a weight and a power to these characters who have come from such humble beginnings to be such epic heroes. It's beautiful. Yeah, the faces on those hobbits should have been... Should have been matched, if not, I don't know, similar to, to what Aang experiences. And if you watch that scene, those actors know how to play that scene. It's just like a, whoa, what is happening? This is, whoa, I'm humbled. Yeah. You know, there's almost kind of a sense that you can tell that they want to start laughing because it's so surreal to them. And it's real. And, ah, 
that scene is just so much better handled in that movie. I I think what the actor was trying to go for was like I don't know how to handle this responsibility, but that's so poorly set up. And of course, and of course, then the movie ends on a sequel teaser. Yeah, thank God we did not get a sequel. Um, Azula, his sister, kind of shown earlier in the movie in a flashback, and this is uh, kind of grown up Azula. Azula, which by grown up I mean like fourteen. She is a fucking psycho in the show. Like, she is the definition of psycho. That's a sharp outfit, Chan. Careful. You could puncture the hull of an Empire-class Fire Nation battleship, leaving thousands to drown at sea. Because it's so sharp. Um, thanks. Like, by the third season, she is unhinged. It is scary. The actress could have probably done her justice uh, just by the face she makes in the... Uh, in this sequence, you know, he base the Fire Lord basically says, "Okay, my son has failed me. It's up to you to capture the Avatar." And if you haven't seen the show, this sequence means absolutely jack all squat to you. Exactly. Yeah, they're they're not gonna make a sequel. Thank God. But no, no, uh, book to Earth. But you know, both thank God and that's too bad that they can't. Uh, season two uh, introduces. One of my all-time favorite characters of any show, Toph, who is a blind girl who uh, earthbends and kicks ass. Toph, when I was in town, I found something that you're not going to like. Well, it sounds like a sheet of paper, but I guess you're referring to what's on the sheet of paper. It's a wanted poster of you. A wanted poster? That's so great. Yeah, that's that's. there's no way that they could have made that work here. Um... Where do you even start on what this movie got wrong? Tone, acting, direction, script. Basically everything but the cinematography, the special effects, and a few of the performances. Because the special effects are good. Special effects are right. They don't look cheap. ILM, after all. The wirebending effects are great. It looks like there's real water being bent. Ear spinning looks good. Okay, I will say there we passed one. There is exactly one funny joke in this movie. She's a vendor. <laughs> Katara! I mean, it's still a clumsily handled joke as far as camera work and everything goes. And it doesn't really fit in the scene, but it could have. It could have. You know, again, you have some elements in here that work. And, uh, you know, aside from getting the details wrong, the story generally does follow, theoretically. I mean, it gets a lot of the details wrong. It's kind of an Uncanny Valley adaptation is the best way that I think of to look at it. You know, the general gist of it is there. The general features that you were looking for are there. But it's in the details that it's all wrong, and that's what alienates you. Um... Another movie that was like this was Green Lantern, a movie that it looked right. Uh, they followed the basic origin story correctly, and they got so many of the details so wrong that it just became frustrating to watch. Yeah, that's that's a perfect description. So, I mean, that's kind of how this movie made me feel. Uh, watching The Last Airbender, now knowing what was going on, is that's what it made me think of, is that it's... I can see what they kind of got right, but they got everything that really mattered, they got wrong. And it's just it's a frustrating film to watch, because it's so generic. It's just such a generic film. Yeah, it is. And it it just feels... The blandness of it is really striking. It's, it's featureless, basically. It is a lot of lost potential. They could have made an awesome movie. About two and a half hours... Uh, they could have told the story of book one. But yeah, as far as an, an actual film goes, you know, what what kind of film where you uh, introduce the bad guy's grand plan to block out the moon, only to have it be negated by this character that we were only introduced to like 15 minutes ago? That's just bad writing. It, it's such poor writing, and I don't know how this happened. I mean, 
you just wonder, was there nobody to step in and say, hey, this script doesn't work at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the Lucas thing. You know, that's kind of what happened with the sequels. Like, nobody stepped in and said, hey, your script sucks. Can we just, can we hire another writer? Like, the ideas are good, but can we hire another writer? And you know what? I think you've summed up what, what happened in that Shyamalan was that people stopped saying no to him. Yeah, exactly. And now, um, with this film, this film, I think, has finally broken his career and his... He just did After Earth, which wasn't really his project anyway. Sure didn't make any money. I think the real turning point, as far as, like, in my experience is, I forgot when the movie Devil came out. It was just after this one. Yeah, it was just after this one. I was sitting in a theater. I I had already seen the Devil trailer. I knew what it was. And I forgot what movie I was sitting in for this, but the 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 moment the words from writer M. Night Shyamalan came up, there was a very heavy groan from the audience. Like it was it was a very loud Ah Probably Scott Pilgrim in all likelihood. Ah, I think you're right. It was from it was at the front of Scott Pilgrim. Because that would have been the trailer that would have been put on it. Yeah, exactly. I, you you are 100% right. It was that crowd. So that was, you know, and, and that's the moment I went, yep, let it all out, folks. It's over. It's over. The dream is over. Sorry, Shyamalan. You failed. Yeah. That's too bad. It is. Yeah. He, he was promising in his day. He really was. I still love The Sixth Sense. I own Unbreakable. I still love that movie. I own Signs. I still love that movie. Those are still three really solid films. He just became a parody of himself. I, I just think that at the end of the day, nobody told him no. I, I, this movie reeks of nobody having stepped in. Right. Because if somebody had stepped in, they would have said the script doesn't make any sense. I don't know if you're familiar with what happened to Quentin Tarantino on Inglorious Bastards, but it illustrates this point beautifully. Mm. Which was, he took it to Cannes, and it didn't get very good re- reception there. So, what did he do between uh, that and releasing it in America? He recut the film. Tarantino said, okay, I'm going to listen to what people have to say. <laughs> and recut the film, got rid of the things that people didn't like about it, and wound up with the film that we have now. That's brilliant. And I know that he was testing Django Unchained up until the last minute. Django Unchained was also a very, um, I think you, you told me that that was basically a polished rough cut. Yeah, that he was working right up until the last minute to get the audience reception to go, okay, this works, this doesn't. Shyamalan stopped doing that. He stopped listening to what the audience wanted. He stopped listening, and that's evident in this movie. He said, I am I am great. No matter what I put out, people will love it. Yeah. They'll flock to see it. And he learned his lesson. Although, it should be noted, this movie didn't do too badly at box office just because of the built-in fan base. Yeah. Yeah. But it's over for him. Yeah, it is. Also, no, uh, there won't be any more Last Airbender movies, but I have heard talk a while ago of them possibly trying to do a Korra movie. Which would work. It's only 13 episodes. It's a simple story. They might get through that one, but I don't know. I just... Without Shyamalan, of course. Yeah. I just, I don't know, I I feel like I've said the last things that I have to say about this movie, because... We let it all out. We let it all out. Whew! Well, that was surely something. <laughs> yep. Well, I guess we should talk about what's next for us. This coming month is October. We got all our horror stuff out of the way. We're introducing a thing that we hope to do annually, uh, called the Hitchcocktober, which is exactly as it sounds. Looking at two movies, well, three, sort of, because we have two casts planned for this month. Uh, one of them we're going to look at, uh, do we agree on North by Northwest, ultimately? Yeah. Yeah, North by Northwest, one of his lighter films. And, of course, we're going to look at Psycho. Psycho. And we're going to look at two, we're going to look at both takes on the material. And compare the remake and the original. The Gus Van Zandt take. Why not? So, that's what's looming ahead for us in the month of October. We've got two months of theme months coming up, because 
Then in November, of course, is Marvel Month. Yeah. Marvel Movie Month. That's going to be fun. That is. Uh, I don't know if I told you, but I actually uh, rented Punisher Warzone last night. Oh, good. Yeah. Right alongside Marie Antoinette. Well, that's a logical parent. <laughs> of course. But yeah, I look forward to watching it. But um, I think that's pretty much what, what I've got to say on, you know, as I said, the last airbender. Just Yeah, me too. Watch, watch the show. The show is great. I agree. Top notch. Don't really watch the movie. Just can't avoid it. Don't. Just don't. If you're coming at us from iTunes, you can find our blog where we post supplemental material for the cast at thefilmroom.podbean.com. You can email us with uh, fan mail, suggestions for casts. We'll listen. Uh, just anything. Uh, any comments on previous casts? Any corrections you want to make? Any threats? Any threats, that's right. <laughs> and, yeah, you can you can do all that at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at at filmroomcast and our individual Twitters. Uh, Austin is at Untailed User. I am at Primitive Man PRD. You can like us on Facebook. I suggest you do so. We do a lot of stuff on there. And that's facebook.com slash the film room for a direct link. But yeah, any one of those outlets, we update the cast. We fill you on movie news. We fill you in on stuff we've seen and liked. We're heading into the fall season, so we're going to be updating quite a bit. Oh, yeah. We will have seen a lot. So yeah. I think that's all for this cast. I'm glad we got that out. It's out there. Now go watch the Nostalgia Critic review. Yeah, we haven't yet, but we saved it until after this. We we actually thought of it before he announced it, so you know, I'm not trying to copycat. Nope. We'll talk to y'all later. Alright. Bye, people. tonight for his pet bear. You mean platypus bear? No, it just says bear. Certainly you mean his pet skunk bear. Or his armadillo bear. Gopher bear? Just bear. This place is weird.